Hello everyone, we're in Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. Now in the fiftieth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Euteria and Trico Tri Traconitus? Traconitus. Traconitus. Mm -hmm. yeah, whichever. <laughs> and Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene. In the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. Luke plants a big flag to mark the time that John came into the spotlight in the wilderness. Uh, he received this message from God. Luke lists the Roman rulers of the time. Uh, it was the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar's reign, which was 29 AD. He ruled over the Roman Empire from 14 to 37 AD. Uh, Pontius Pilate served as governor of Judea from 26 to 36 AD. Herod Antipas ruled in Galilee from 4 BC to 39 AD. Philip, which was Herod's brother, ruled the east of Jordan from 4 BC to 34 AD. Uh, little is known about the Tetrarch Lys Lysanias. Uh, Luke also mentions some Jewish heads. Annas, a very powerful person of influence, he was a high priest from 6 AD to 15 AD, uh, but eventually his son-in-law Caiaphas took over from 18 to 36 AD. All that to say, all of these historical dates line up perfectly to match when John the Baptist's timeline when he came to, to be popular. Um, it was in this time that the word of the Lord came to John. And notice two things. First, the John Luke is talking about is the son of Zacharias. He's making this clear um, because we've been speaking about him since chapter one. And second, John was in the wilderness or in the desert. Yeah, so let's see what happens to him. Verses 3 to 6 of chapter 3. And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every ravine will be filled, and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight, and the rough road smooth, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. So we see John's message was that of baptism of repentance. He preached for others to repent of their sins. Now, baptism was used as an external picture of an, an, of an internal change of heart. This was nothing new at the time. Jews used baptism as a sign of a Gentile converting to Judaism. And so we know that baptism did not save anyone, but it did show the world the decision they had made. When we repent, meaning the expression of a conscious knowledge that we have wronged God and desire to turn away from those sins, God forgives our sins. John held his ministry near the Jordan River. Since John would be taking the role of Elijah, this is meaningful because it is where Elijah spent his last days. You can see that in 2 Kings 2, 1-13. John functioned as Christ's forerunner and announcer for Jesus foretold in Isaiah chapter 40 verses 3 to 5, which is quoted by Luke in this gospel. 
In that time, when a king traveled, a band of people would go ahead and clear the path to make the way easier. John was that workman, leveling the ground for the coming Messiah. Verses 7 through 9. So he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John's message was to those who were simply getting by, or so they thought. Many Jews believed that since they had the lineage of Israel, or since they were Jews, they were set to go to heaven, no matter what they did. The way to God has nothing to do with nationality or baptism. It has everything to do with repentance and faith. Uh, God even God John John even sarcastically says that God could raise descendants of Abraham from stones because the lineage didn't matter. If they truly believed in God, they needed to prove it through their fruit. Wrath was coming, and they needed to be prepared. Genuine repentance and faith would be the only way to bring salvation for all people. Without these, we are condemned to judgment by God for our sins, which we can't cover on our own. Uh, He gives the image of an axe, uh, ready to cut down useless trees that were not bearing fruit. These useless trees were thrown into the fire. They were judged by God. Now, why is this important? Many make the same mistake today. They think, I'm a good person. I give to this charity and go to that church, or I, I treat everyone right, so I'm all set for heaven. But none of that brings salvation. It is only through faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and through repentance from our sins. Amen. Verses 10 to 13. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, Then what shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, The man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and he who has food is to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, And what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force, or accuse anyone falsely, and be content with your wages. So we see the crowds came to John seeking the truth, everyone from tax collectors to soldiers, and they all asked, What can we do? How do we find evidence of one's genuine repentance? One way is to witness a change in their behavior. They must become generous and kind. Tax collectors and soldiers were hated by society in that time because they cheated people. The way for them to show they were saved was for them to stop being dishonest and corrupt. They were to be content with their wages, stop doing evil, and not just stop doing bad, but start doing good. All of these concepts apply to us today as well. We are to show fruit of our salvation. The Bible calls us to remove the bad and replace it with good. This exchange is not what brings salvation. It is just a fruit or telltale sign of one's salvation. 
This is a lifelong process, but there are so many benefits. It keeps us from wrong and its consequences. It shows the world the greatness of the gospel, and most importantly, it glorifies God. 15 to 17. Now, while the people were in a state of expectation, and all were wondering in their hearts about John, as to whether he was the Christ, John answered and said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. At this point, some were beginning to wonder if John was the Messiah. John was quick to kill that line of thought. But we see how much the people desired a Messiah. They wanted the chosen one to come. In John's eyes, rightly so, the Messiah was so great that he was not even worthy to take off his sandals, not even to untie his sandals. He had the right train of thought. No one is worthy to do even that. He's God Almighty, the only one worthy of praise. John explained that he was only baptizing with water, but the true Messiah would come and baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The baptism with the Holy Spirit came to pass in Acts 2, 1-4 on the day of Pentecost. The baptism of the Spirit also refers to when a sinner becomes a part of Christ's body. Baptism by fire is probably referring to judgment. It seems to fit the metaphor at the end of the section. There will be judgment. Jesus will divide the world between his own and the unbelievers, the only meaningful categories for humans. His own will be with him. Unbelievers will fall under God's wrath in hell. Now, why is this important? Can you see why we need to tell as many people as we can about Jesus? We do not want any to perish on our watch. We want as many possible for the kingdom of God. Verses 13, <laughs> 18 to 20. So, with many other exhortations, he preached the gospel to the people. But when Herod the Tetrarch was reprimanded by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the wicked things which Herod had done, Herod also added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Now John eventually reprimanded Herod for taking his brother's wife from him. For speaking up, John was imprisoned. Basically, John feared no one. He spoke the truth to anyone, be it to the poor or rich, commoner or ruler, regardless of the consequences. I would say it was a good example for us. 21 to 22. Now when all the people were baptized... Jesus was also baptized, and while he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the bodily form like a dove, and a voice came out of heaven, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Luke records the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, as he was baptized by John, the climax of John's ministry. Luke gives a condensed version of the baptism that we will see expanded in another gospel. Uh, we also see, verse 23, that Jesus was about 30 years old, uh, the age that Levites began to work. And we can see this in Numbers 4, 3, and 35. When Jesus was baptized, the heavens broke into history with revelation. God had come to save man. 
Luke is the only gospel that records that Jesus was actually praying when he received approval from God the Father, that's the voice, and the Holy Spirit, which is God coming down in the form of a dove. The Father confirms Jesus as the Son by alluding to Psalm 2-7 and Isaiah 42-1. This authenticated him as God's messenger and anointed him to carry out God's mission. The Godhead clearly shows itself here to start the ministry of saving the world. Jesus starts his ministry humbly through being baptized, identifying himself with sinners, though not being one himself. Verses 23 to 38. When he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Eli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jenai, the son of Jodah, the son of Joanan, the son of Risa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eleazar, the son of Joram, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Maleah, the son of Mena, the son of Matatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Amminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Heber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalil, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of God, I'm sorry, the son of Adam, then the son of God. After Luke's demonstration of God's validation, he continues to show earthly validation for Christ. He trails Jesus' genealogy through Mary. Many will protest, wait a second, I see Joseph there. However, we must remember that all wives were identified through their husbands. So Joseph, who was Jesus' stepfather, would take the place of Mary's name. This genealogy was probably placed in Luke to show that Jesus had the blood right to take the throne of David. Luke traces Jesus' lineage all the way back to Adam. So, we saw the forerunner, the Godhead, and human lineage all verifying that this person was indeed the Messiah. The gospel is powerful, not just because it saves, but because it makes sense. A person can research their facts, and all of them will point to Jesus as the true Messiah. Now, why does this matter? Well, this gives and should give us courage, like it did to John, to proclaim the truth to others. We have no reason to fear others when bringing them the truth. Ultimately, it is their decision. All we can do is show them the truth and love them, and past that, it is up to God's work. I encourage you to tell others of Christ. Train other believers to grow. You have sufficient material and will continue to get more, but use what you have for God's glory. 
So thanks for listening. This finishes up chapter three of Luke. And just as a quick reminder, if you have any questions or any comments about what we've been talking about, please feel free to visit us at forthethirstysoul.com and you can send us any comments or questions there. We'll be happy to get back to you. Thanks. Join us again for chapter four.